There's a passage of scripture that visited me, came to me this past week and maybe a few weeks before that. And it's in the last letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Excuse me, the first part, the last letter to the Romans. So it's about Romans chapter 15. I was also preoccupied in 1 Corinthians, so. But in any event, it was the it was the summation and the final thoughts he expressed in the uh, letter he wrote to the Romans. It's an amazing book, the Romans, the letter to the Romans. There's so much doctrine there. It's absolutely wonderful. And as we come to the final portion in about chapter 15, which I'll read a little bit to you this morning, he says a few things, beginning in verse 1. He says a few things that really caught my attention. And I began to focus on those things. And I began to ponder them and wonder at them. And I began to look at them in the light of the Old Covenant. And then I began to look at them in the light of the New Covenant, knowing the Apostle would write in the light of the New Covenant. And the difference between the Old and the New is really tremendously, there's a tremendous difference, huge difference. And sometimes we read them and we read them in the light of the old covenant, you know, the, the, the idea of laws, the idea of this is written and you must obey it. You know, here's something, here's a code of behavior. Now you must do these things to please and satisfy God. So there's the old covenant approach, and then there is the new covenant, which is based on the grace of God doing a work in you and me that permits us to keep that which God has required us to keep. So I was considering these things and the idea of a progress report came to mind. Anyone ever had a progress report done? Have you ever, uh, from a, we used to call them, we used to call them performance appraisals. So we used to, we used to do these things called performance appraisals and it wasn't uh, the most comfortable thing in the world, but it was always good and there was always a purpose. Uh, and they were supposed to answer several questions. Uh, one was, how am I doing? And the second was, where am I going? You see, because the idea of, if you turn them around and said, where am I going? It depends upon how I'm doing. Because you're not going to get there if you're not, if your performance is deficient in certain ways, then you're not going to get to the place that maybe you would like to go and where, the, uh, where, where you should go. So I, I came back and I thought I would call this a progress report, progress report. And let me begin this way. I remember a number of years ago when Pat would take our little ones to the doctor for the various reports. And now there's a new, another generation. Uh, <laughs> I guess there's a, two generations. <laughs> two generations have, have, have passed and, and the this, this second generation now is taking their little ones for these progress reports. So let me read this to you. Even babies who are perfectly healthy go to the doctor a lot. That's because the first two years are crucial, is a crucial time in the baby's growth and development, and your doctor will want to keep close tabs on your baby's progress. Progress. Some pediatricians' schedules will vary slightly, but the, uh, this comes from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Recommends babies get checkups at birth, three to five days after birth, 
and then one, two, four, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-four months. A lot of checkups. And here's what will likely happen at each of them. And why would they do these things? Why would they do these? Why would they subject these little beautiful little babies to these progress reports? To see how they're doing, right? To see how they're doing. Are they progressing according to what would be expected of them as a normal, healthy child? Are they progressing? There's something, there's something in them that's a life. Uh, I don't know if you call it a, you know, a genetic blueprint, perhaps. Uh, there's something there that will determine the life and growth and health and that at a certain age they will achieve certain things and be able to do roll over, you know, sit up, begin to crawl, all these things at certain times. And if they don't achieve these things, these little milestones at the time that they are expected, then people begin to worry because there's something about the progress that shows that perhaps something is deficient, something's defective, something's not quite right. And that's the whole idea of these progress reports. I'm going to talk about progress report though in a different way this morning, as you as you can imagine. Let me come back to this. A pediatrician should examine the baby in the hospital within 24 hours of birth. We do a full exam looking for a normal body function. We look for basic newborn reflexes, skin tone, alertness, and hip stability. This is to make sure the baby is looking healthy and responding well. Here's what else to expect during the first checkup and each one thereafter, too. The doctor will always measure the baby's length, which later will be referred to as his height, weight, and head circumference, measurement of the circumference of the head. These measurements will be recorded on a growth chart, so you'll be able to see how the baby compares to other infants his age to make sure there are no signs of problems. No signs of problems. Are there any signs of problems in our spiritual life? Are there signs of problems in your life or my life? Is there a sign of a problem? How would I determine if a problem existed? Are there any checkups, spiritual checkups, to permit us to see? The answer is absolutely yes. And there's one of those as we're going to look at this morning. At most visits, the doctor will also gauge whether the baby's development is on track. On track? What do you mean on track? Well, there's a certain expectation. And if the child is not measuring up and meeting that expectation, then something may be wrong. Something may be preventing this child. And if so, what would that be? And could we identify that? And perhaps we could even remove that and, and, and bring some kind of curative agency to that. Maybe we could do something to make sure that this child is going to grow at a healthy rate. At most visits, the doctor will also gauge whether the baby's development is on track. They'll make observations of your child's behaviors, ask you about the baby's milestones, like sitting up and rolling over, typical to his age at the time, and ask you if you have any concerns. There are milestones in the spiritual life, in our walk with Christ, and there are certain things that should be expected to occur according to the healthy walk in Christ Jesus. I didn't say with Christ uh, second time. I said healthy walk in Christ Jesus. There are certain behaviors 
that should be anticipated and expected and that should manifest. There are certain attitudes that should manifest. There are certain, certain ways of thinking that should appear. Behaviors that should follow those things, they should appear. And if those behaviors and ways of thinking and attitudes do not manifest naturally, then it would be reasonable to say and conclude that there's something wrong in the life support system that promotes healthy growth. Something's wrong. What would that be that's wrong? So the doctor will ask about the baby's behavior and they'll also observe the child's actions and reactions. And this helps to rule out psychological or behavioral issues. The baby will get a head-to-toe exam from the doctor at each visit also. Ears, eyes, mouth, skin, heart, lungs, abdomen, hips, legs, everything will be examined to be sure they look healthy. In the beginning, the doctor will check the soft spots on the baby's head. I remember when our, when our children were small and, you know, we were always, it was always this, watch the, don't touch, you know, we were always concerned about the top of their heads and so on. And, and probably some of us were overly concerned. But these are things the doctors will check. It says that soft spot typically will disappear within 12 to 18 months. What happens if it doesn't? What do you do if it doesn't? If it doesn't disappear after two years, three years, that would be a cause of concern. It says they'll also check the shape of the baby's head to make sure it's rounding out nicely. Remember how they used to talk about rounding out nicely. I can remember the the maternal, you know, mothers, grandmothers, oh, his head is rounding out nicely, they would say. Because they would expect that to occur, right? In the life of the healthy child. And if it didn't happen, there would be a cause for concern. Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. Let me read a few verses to you. Now we who are strong, the apostle wrote to the Romans. Remember, these are Romans, Gentiles. He's writing to them. He is the apostle to the Gentiles in a very unique way, and he's writing to them, and he's saying these things to them, and he has traveled there into all those portions of the Roman world, the Roman Empire in the first century. Have you ever done any study of the Roman Empire in the first century? It's fascinating to read and study a little bit about it, the lives of the people. Very religious people, very, very religious people. Every home had a shrine. They had gods that were that they relied upon and prayed to and offered sacrifice to in their homes. Like family gods. Oh, they had so many gods. They had three or four uh, major main gods in the Roman Empire. And then they had a whole plethora of other gods responsible for almost everything in life. Crops and health and, and, and wisdom and all kinds of different things. They were very religious But the attitude within the Roman Empire, for the most part in the first century, the time in which the Apostle Paul was traveling and preaching the gospel to these people, the attitude was that you had to do certain things to satisfy the gods. That it wasn't so much um, 
you know, your behavior wasn't that important in t terms of the morality and so on. Your behaviors weren't that important, but the, certain, but the things that the gods required in the way you approached them, the kind of sacrifices you offered them, and the prestigious places you gave them in your home, and how many times you gathered with your family on a regular daily basis and worshipped your gods in the home, all these things. The father was responsible for everything in the first century Roman world, including these things. And they had to do all these things specifically. It was very much oriented in the way of performance and doing these things externally. But the attitude of the heart, the spirit, the morality of the mind and the thoughts, that wasn't that important. These are the people the Apostle Paul engaged in conversation and proclaimed the gospel to with great power. Wonderful results. And now he's writing to them and he writes, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength or those who are weak and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And he references now Psalm 69. And all the way through in these closing comments in this letter, he continually references the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures. And he says all these things were written for our benefit and for our good. But he's telling them that they should be concerned about those others, especially those who are weak. I mean, those who are just starting out. Those who have not grown and advanced in the faith as much, perhaps, as that individual has. That they should be concerned about them and bear their burdens and bear them up and support them and be more, more concerned about those individuals than they are concerned about themselves. You know what this is? That he's talking about? This is selfless love. Selfless love. This is the love of God. This is the agape love of God. This is benevolence for its own sake. This is not what's in this for me. This is not about me, 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 my, my, my. This is not about how am I doing? How do I look? It's not, it's not self-focused. But it spends its time being concerned, genuinely concerned about the other person. How are you doing? What's happening in your life? Are you enjoying your walk in Christ Jesus? And do you have the victory? And it's not a question to put people on the defense. It's a question out of, out of complete love and concern for them. And you know, I know you have a particular circumstance going on right now that you're worried about and you're concerned about. And I'll tell you, I'm here for you and I'm concerned about that. Because you're my brother, you're my sister. And he said, you who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Not to please ourselves, he said. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He took those things upon himself for us. So the question then becomes, how, do, how does this happen? How does this work? 
how do you say to people, you should be more concerned or you should be concerned about your, about those others, those who are weak, those maybe who are just starting out in the faith or maybe not have, have not even entered into the faith, but you should be concerned about them and not just yourself. You should reach out to help them. Is this an obligation? Is, is, is this a requirement? Is this a law? Is this like, okay, now, this week you must do this. See, it doesn't work that way in the New Covenant. It really does not work that way. The Old Testament way or the Old Covenant way is a command. The command was given and the expectation was that then you would follow out and fulfill the command. And that was given as, a, as kind of like an instructor to bring, to bring us to Christ because the realization was that we couldn't do those things even when we wanted to as is outlined in the first part of Romans. The things that I want to do, I agree are right, but I find that there's a law in me preventing me from doing the things that I want to do. I agree that the law of God is good, but I don't do the thing that I really agree is good. See, he, this is, he lays it all out. So there's no way then, there's no sense now as he comes to the final part of this letter that he's telling them in their own strength that they must do these things. Just, just grab your bootstraps and pull yourself up and go out there and love everybody and treat them better than you treat yourself. It does not, never has, doesn't work that way. Well, how does it work? It's based on the grace of God operating upon the interior life of the person transforming and changing the heart and the mind and the inner self and infusing into that person a new, if I could say, spiritual genetic blueprint. <laughs> that may not make sense, but I'm going to use those language to convey the idea. It's just as the child has a blueprint within them that determines their growth and so on. The spiritual life has a blueprint spiritually within that determines these things. And there's an expectation then that in the life of the person who walks in fellowship with Christ Jesus that he, that person, she will love those others as well, as much as themselves. It's basically love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's caring for those who are weak. It's bearing the burdens of those who are weak. It's helping to build them up. Not to leave them in their weakness, but to help to strengthen them and bring them up from their weakness. That's what it is. But it does not help. It doesn't happen through self-effort. It happens through the grace of God operating upon the interior life of the person. He goes on and says, For whatever was written in the past or the Old Testament was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Therefore accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. Now, here's, here's a little analogy and picture that comes to mind that I've been thinking about as I've been considering these scriptures and, and so on and how these things work in the spiritual realm. Let me go back a few years. Let me go back, uh, I won't even tell you how many years because it'll be too many years. Okay, there's a little farm that comes to mind. I see it in my mind's eye. I'm walking down the 
pathways of the past. And I see this farm, and I see this little lady that comes out onto a back porch. And there's the clothesline pole there, and going out to another pole, and there's this clothesline. And she's bringing out, in the spring of the year perhaps, and she's bringing out blankets, and she's bringing out things like that, sheets, and she's bringing out mostly blankets and draperies and curtains. I say, what are you doing, Mom? I'm thinking about Mom. What are you doing, Mom? I'm going to give these things a good airing out. I'm going to give these things a good airing out. And she pins them to the clothesline and she extends the clothesline out and it's raining cats and dogs. No, it's not. Because she would never ever put them out when the environment was wrong. The atmosphere must be right. And what's the right environment is a beautiful sunny day with a nice breeze. You could almost call it a wind, but not quite a wind. But a breeze. You know, a, a significant breeze, a healthy breeze. And here are these things that have been in drawers and been stuffed up inside and dusty, perhaps in a little dusty environment for a few months, and here they are, and they're out on the line. And the wind is doing a miraculous thing to them. The wind is purifying them and the wind is taking all the dust particles and moving it away from them and they are just being refreshed. And the little lady who puts them out there every once in a while, she'll go and look at them, make sure everything's okay. Now there were certain things that she did. And if she did not do those things, then nothing would happen. She had to go and get those items and she had to put them on the clothesline and she had to pick the kind of day, the atmosphere, and the environment that was conducive to the purpose. And then she rushed them out, put them out on the clothesline, and away they went. And now there were things that happened that she could not do. Only the wind could do. You know, the wind and spirit, the same word. Wind, spirit. There are certain things that only the Spirit of God can do. We can't do them. The Spirit of God does them. But we have to cooperate with the Spirit of God and get those things in our life out onto that clothesline and the right kind of day. What kind of day would that be? That's a day that has the sunshine. That's the day that has the breezes blowing. And that the day is the day that is absolutely uh, dominated by God's truth. It's an environment of truth, truth, truth. Not the truth as I see it, but the truth as God reveals it. And then our lives, those things in our lives are put out there in that kind of environment and now the wind of the Spirit and the breezes of the Spirit of God come through and cleanse and purify with the truth of God's Word those things in our lives. Now there will come a time that those things, and I remember her now as the day began to come into the evening time, before what we called supper came. Still supper. <laughs> I won't sidetrack myself and get off onto that tangent, although I'm tempted to, but I will not. <laughs> and she would bring them in now. She would bring them in. But I want to tell you that when she brought them in, they were not the same as when she sent them out. She didn't just send them out. She put them out. 
And now when she brought them in, see the things that she did. She put them out. She pinned them to the line. She put the line out. Now she couldn't do any more. She had done all she could do. And now the breezes and the sunlight did what she couldn't do. Now she brought them in. And she put them in those places where they were designed to be. But they were different now than they were before. They were transformed by that which she could not transform them. But they were transformed by the environment into which she willingly placed them. That's the way it is with you and me. There's a certain kind of environment that transforms us and changes us and does those things that we cannot do. We have to cooperate with it and we have to put those things out onto that line or in that environment and allow the winds of heaven, the breezes of the Holy Spirit with the truth of God's word to purify those things. The apostle knows all this and with the full knowledge of that, he says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those who are weak and not just think about ourselves but be concerned about others because this is the manifestation of that transformation. This is the way we will behave. This is the way we will think when the breezes of God's Spirit have cleansed and are cleansing our lives. That's what we will do. But if we are preoccupied with the self, and have no heart, no real love inside, no real heart to reach out to those who are weak in a system because we're self-preoccupied, there's something wrong with us. And we are in bad shape and may not even know it. We're not hopeless. We need something. And I've already described what we need. That's what we need. And down on the inside, we know that. We know that that's true. And so what we need to do is embrace that truth and do those things that we can do, confident that the Holy Spirit will do those things that only He can do. Now, in verse number 8 of this chapter, he writes, For I say that the Messiah became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, And so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing psalms to your name. Now this is all written to the Gentiles. I think the last I checked, I think that we're pretty much 100% here Gentiles. So we are really beneficiaries of this letter and of these wonderful grace of God. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. He said to the Gentiles, he's quoting Psalm 18, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing psalms to your name. I'm going to ask a question, how do we really praise God? I'm not going to answer it. I just want to put it out there right now. How do you really praise God? Do we praise God by shouting and hollering and dancing and screaming and singing? Is that where, uh, I'll suggest there's something more Uh, accurate than that in how we praise God. But he goes to verse 10. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Deuteronomy 32. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All the people should praise him. Psalm 117. How do you praise him? How do you praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Do we praise the Lord by saying, praise the Lord? Is that how we praise the Lord? 
Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I believe that's true, right? But there's something else. How we really praise the Lord is not through the things that we do by self-effort. But what really praises the Lord, how we praise the Lord is the testimony of a life in which the wind of God's Spirit has cleansed and refreshed and is taking away all those spiritual dust particles and things that ought not to be there and sending them out to the four winds of the, of the, of, of the earth and refreshing us with God's truth and presence and spirit. And then the life testifies to that. The life, just as those clothes that mom brought in, she would smell them. You know, sometimes she would smell them and they smelled so fresh and she would just be so delighted. Oh, now that smells so fresh, she'd say. That smells good. I love putting the clothes on the line, she would say. I love putting the clothes on the line. I love the way they feel when we bring them in, she would say. I love the way they smell when they come in. I see there's a certain way in which our lives take on a fragrance, an aroma that's pleasing and pleasant. When we come in, after we have deliberately exposed ourselves to the presence of God and allowed His Word and Spirit to flow and wash over us, cleanse us, and purify us. But how we really praise the Lord is by bearing the weaknesses of those without strength, not pleasing ourselves, but when each one of us pleases his neighbor for his good to build him up or her up. That's how we praise the Lord. That's how we praise the Lord. Anybody can say with their mouth certain things, but not everybody can have a life that testifies to the truth of these things. And that's what praises the Lord. Now he continues in his letter. He writes, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God. Now, even what the apostle is saying here is that my ministry to you is not just what I'm doing for you, but my ministry to you is the grace of God reaching out to you through me. But the grace of God is having his way through me. Now, listen to him as he continues. His entire life, and ministry is dedicated to the new covenant truth. Not the old covenant idea, but the new covenant truth. He says, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace of God given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. My purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. In verse 18, For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Now, see what the Apostle has done 
and he's continually doing. He's continually running his uh, his life out onto that clothesline for refreshing, if you like, spiritual clothesline for refreshing. So the truth in the sun shining, and the truth of God is bearing down upon all the facets of his life, and the breezes of the Holy Spirit are wafting over his life, cleansing him, purifying him. And the consequence of that is the ministry to the Gentiles. The fruit of that is the ministry to the Gentiles. Therefore, he says, now I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. If the Gentiles are going to be obedient by word and deed, he says, then it must be only because Christ is accomplishing something, accomplishing something through me. Not what I'm doing, but what he is doing through me. And again, I say, if you go back and read and educate yourself on the life, the religious life, the first century Roman Empire, you'll find that the apostle taking the message of the gospel message into that environment, it would just be one more religious idea among hundreds of religious ideas, unless there was something to it that none of the rest of them had. And there is something that none of the rest of them have. And there was something manifested in his ministry that none of the rest of them could manifest. And that's why Christianity began to take over the Roman Empire. That's why. Because it had an ingredient that none of the rest of them had. And it still has that ingredient. But we have to have a progress report and see if we are bringing our lives on the sunny day spiritually and placing them before the Lord to allow His truth and Spirit and the breezes of the Spirit to freshen them out and to change them. Well, but I read a part of this. Let me go back and read it all. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, by the power, listen to this, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Illyricum, which was a Roman province. My aim is to evangelize to where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. I'm not going to go to the churches and those places that are already established. I'm going to go to places that have never heard the name. Never heard the name of Jesus. I'm not going to go fish out here where other people are fishing. I'm going to go where nobody's fishing and I'm going to fish there. Because the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus himself, has commissioned me to go there and do these things, but he is doing a work through me that accomplishes his purposes. And then he finishes this portion that I'll read to you. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Isaiah chapter 52. It's marvelous, and it's wonderful. And so... We have shared together this morning about a spiritual progress report. May the Lord take the words and the spirit of truth of this and apply it to each one of us in a very personal way.
It's a timely message that we, all of us, each of us, I, myself as well, need to hear. Not only need to hear, but need to act upon. I need to clearly understand the things that I must do and then the things that I cannot do and have a very clear understanding of those two things. Because I must do the things that I must do, but then the other things that only the Lord can do then will occur. But I have something that I have to do first to present myself to him, and then I have something to do after he manifests his presence in my life. I have something to do in the way in which that is treated by me. May the Lord bless you, guard your hearts, and keep you.